Welcome to FYI, the four-year innovation podcast. This show offers an intellectual discussion on technologically enabled disruption, because investing in innovation starts with understanding it. To learn more, visit arc-invest.com. Arc Invest is a registered investment advisor focused on investing in disruptive innovation. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. It does not constitute either explicitly or implicitly any provision of services or products by Arc. All statements made regarding companies or securities are strictly beliefs and points of view held by Arc or podcast guests and are not endorsements or recommendations by Arc to buy, sell, or hold any security. Clients of Arc Investment Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hello, Professor X. Thank you for uh, joining us today. Thanks for the invitation. It's very happy to be here. Absolutely. We have a, a lot of questions to cover. Um, so very much looking forward to this conversation. And uh, I, I believe you're joining us from Shenzhen, where you, your, your headquarters, is that correct? Uh, yes, uh, our headquarters in Shenzhen is uh, considered to be the Silicon Valley of China. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. I think maybe a good place to start uh, is, you know, we'd love to get back on the origin story of uh, yourself as well as AutoX. You know, how, how did you fall in love with the technology, autonomous driving technology? Uh, yeah, maybe take us all the way from there. Yeah, uh, I actually uh, study autonomous driving uh, and do research in this area for a very, very long time. Uh, probably since about like 16 years ago. I was a student at that time at Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. And in, uh, we have a professor working in like, 3D reconstruction and 3D mapping. And it looks very really cool. That's how we get started. And, and then with the project, we are actually uh, sponsored by Google for doing research for uh, street view recognition and modeling. Uh, afterwards, I, I went to MIT for my PhD and also continued doing research in computer vision and robotics, uh, as well as uh, being a faculty member and founding the Princeton Computer Vision Robotics Lab. And it has been a wonderful uh, career. Uh, everything uh, is so exciting, as you, you know that the area of auto driving has been making a lot of progress in the past two decades. And I'm very happy that I'm being part of it. And then also uh, in 2016, uh, we founded AutoX to try to uh, build a product of all this technology and then commercialize it. And it has been uh, an exciting journey, and not just uh, for the whole industry, but also for the whole company. Right. And and you were the, the first company in China to sort of truly commercialize fully autonomous driving. Tell us about how, how that's going. I'd love to hear sort of how, what the what the journey has been so far. Yeah, it has been always the dream of building a fully autonomous driving car and going driverless. That, that's the ultimate goal of a, a driverless company. Right? <laughs> because if you still have somebody sitting in the car, even if there are a lot of automation, and it's still considered assistive driving, it's not fully self-driving. So in the, uh, not just the company, but also my whole career, we've been trying very hard to try to uh, build a working system that actually can remove the human uh, from the driver's seat, from the, the car completely, 
uh, not just from the driver seat uh, to go completely driverless. Um, but it has been uh, proven is uh, incredibly difficult. This is an incredibly technically challenging area that uh, we have been working many years, uh, perfecting all the technologies uh, to make sure everything can go up to the safety standard that are required to remove the safety driver. And after several years of, uh, after founding the company for several years, and uh, improving our technology years after years, uh, finally, uh, last year, we're starting to uh, complete most of the uh, safety requirement that, uh, that are required to really remove the safety driver. So, so starting uh, actually uh, last year, 2020, uh, we have been doing a lot of testing uh, on public road with the completely driverless vehicles. And we announced it in December last year. And we actually, uh, after that, a month after that, we actually released it to the general public. Since then, there are a lot of people come to see in our class. There are a lot of local citizens, there are a lot of media, uh, there are a lot of, uh, in particular, we, we, our, our expectation is we attract a lot of uh, people working for the government. Our pilot branch actually uh, made quite a big noise. Or I would say make some positive impact in the sense that with the local locally in China, there's no laws for self-driving car yet last year. But this year, the movement moved significantly faster. I think it's partially due to the fact that we we are uh, we are running the fully driverless car in Shenzhen. There's there are a lot of government officials they come to see in the car, they come to experience. Uh, experience everything. They come to study. They come to uh, think about. Okay, maybe self-driving car is really coming. Now it's time to <laughs> make more progress on the regulation, and that's why we actually see that a lot more progress has been made in the past three months for self-driving car regulation, not just in the city of Shenzhen but also nationalized for the whole China as well. We actually see probably a lot more progress in the past three months than in the past three years. Uh, things are moving significantly faster uh, very, very recently. And, and a lot of them actually due to the fact we actually have a working self-driving car that running on the street. I think this is also something that is very interesting. It's like, it's like airplane, right? Before the airplane, it was invented. I, I'm sure there's no regulation for air flights. Uh, but now, uh, and people are not motivated to make a regulation for air flight either because there's no airplane yet. But since now is like getting closer and closer to the bigger adaption of fully self-driving car. I think, uh, uh, in particular, the local authority uh, in China, uh, in the city of Shenzhen, also uh, in in China as a country, also realized that time the timing is more mature now. Now is the right time to think about all these questions and to uh, have a good legal framework. Uh, for uh, for the self-driving car regulation. And Professor X, is it just in Shenzhen today that you have fully released to the public? And I believe it's it's a district of Shenzhen, right? It's not the entire city. Yes, and right now it's in the Pingsang district of Shenzhen. Uh, it's the district designated by the uh, city government to be the district for uh, automotive industry. Uh, which including electrical vehicles like BYD is there, and also uh, Evergrande uh, is there. Uh, is the uh, a new major uh, car manufacturer 
build, they, they have their research center being there. And we are also uh, being in that district. Uh, self-driving car uh, in China is considered being part of the uh, smart uh, uh, kinetic automotive uh, transformation. So there's like part of the bigger uh, automotive industry uh, revolution. Got it. And, and you just mentioned it took you a few years to clear that safety standards before you were able to release it to the public. What do you can you can you go a little bit deeper on that? Is this something you internally uh, sort of set the standards and and you know and 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 say that these are the things we have to achieve before we can go full public, or is it is it something set by the government already? That's both internal and externally. Uh, internally, we have a lot of technical requirement. For example, we have the redundancy requirement, the stability of the system, including both the software and the hardware. And both software and hardware require redundancy. Uh, for example, for our, uh, our hardware, we have uh, multiple sensors to provide redundancy. For our compute system, we have multiple subsystems inside the same compute system to provide redundancy. In terms of the vehicle, we have the redundancy drive-by-wire system. Uh, we partner with FCA to adapt the uh, Fiat Chrysler Pacific Car platform, which have the redundancy drive-by-wire system, uh, which means that two separate systems of two braking, two steering wheel. Uh, if one is broken, there's still another one. That at least we can stop the vehicle very safe. So there are a lot of technical requirements, both on the hardware side and also on the software side, right? We use multi-sensor, even the same kind of sensor modality. We have multiple of them looking at different view angle in order to reduce the potential problem uh, to, to have a lot of fallback. Um, therefore, internally, technically, we have many, a lot of work. It's a huge system project. There's a many, many components. Everything has to polish to the level is really perfect. Uh, that's why it takes a lot of manpower and also a lot of effort. Externally, there's also like that's government-wise, they also have a lot of requirement. Like, uh, for example, before we go to the cargo fully self-driving in the Pingsan district in Shenzhen, we actually have to go through an exam uh, imposed by the uh, Shenzhen government, close few tests that you have to test on, um, pass a lot of requirement. It actually takes several weeks with the hundreds of, of different tests, small, uh, different small tests, and also need to accumulate certain mileage of fully driverless within the uh, the closed area. And that area is also in Pingsan district because it's the district designated for automotive related. So they actually build a facility inside there, and you drive, drive your car there uh, to pass all the requirements. And it, it, of course, these requirements are not very difficult to us. It's actually, uh, in some sense, it's easy for us to pass but still serve as a safeguard to our internal test. Externally, there's also a higher standard, which is the California a fully driverless permit. Uh, the California DMV requirement is incredibly high. In the past few years, we've been talking uh, to the authority uh, to understand the regulation requirement, uh, not just in China, but also in California as well. So, so uh, that's why we managed to get to uh, pass uh, the regulation requirement also last year in 2020. So we become the second company in terms of robot taxi to have 
been allowed to operate a fully driverless robot taxi in California. We're very excited about that, not just because it's a huge recognition, but more importantly, actually uh, show that our design, our philosophy, because from a technical point of view, we have been spending a lot of effort and time and, and a, a lot of uh, days and nights uh, in, in building the system. We are very happy that our system is considered uh, to pass the bar and to consider to be safe enough to, to drive, go drive this on, on the road. Yes, and if we could we could talk a little bit more about your system. Um, so you know, there's there's uh, different approaches to autonomous driving, um, but you you have a, a bit of a unique approach. Um, so could you could you tell us how how, how does it compare to um, other players in the industry in terms of you know what are what are sort of the building blocks that that make the system uh, work. Yeah, I would say that in terms of the major building block, that's probably not too much difference. It's true that the people emphasize a lot on using LiDAR. Like for example, like the Waymo system, uh, Waymo is known to the world that build their own LiDAR. They are so serious about LiDAR. And they invest hundreds of engineers working for the past 10 years to build their LiDAR. It's true. Uh, but at the same time, if you look at Waymo system today, is actually using a lot of cameras as well. Uh, in the generation five system of Waymo, they are, have 29 cameras. <laughs> That's a lot of cameras. For us, is we, we, we start with using a lot of cameras already, um, but gradually we also add LiDAR in. So I would say that we start, our starting point is different, but the result is kind of similar <laughs> because they use LiDAR true, but they add so many cameras in. Uh, we use so many cameras, but we also add the LiDAR in. So I would say that although the starting point is different, but the end result, people are getting similar to similar because to ensure we have a self-driving car as quickly as possible, to ensure the self-driving car is as safe as possible. So it's very natural that you just add all the sensors. We add all cameras, add LiDARs, and we also add very high resolution radars as well. The methodology seems to be converging based on what you're you're saying, except for Tesla. Yeah, eventually to make sure it's as safe as possible, you just basically add everything that you can imagine, right? Uh, everything that humans have been able to build all the sensors in. Uh, for example, I, I think all these cars also equipped with the RTK GPS, with the IMU, with the wheel autometry, um, besides even for radar, where uh, the AutoX radar is actually using very advanced radar. It's not the traditional radar, it's the, it's the so-called uh, 4D radar. So we have a very detailed 3D point cloud of the objects. And each point cloud, each point actually have a velocity associated with the point. This is the so-called 4D radar. But there are very, very few companies in the world adapting this new technology, uh, but we're not just, I'm not talking about LiDAR, I'm talking about actual radar, but the radar is so good that you can come with a point cloud. And so the reason why we all add all this is again, uh, human life is uh, uh, is super, super valuable. We cannot even put a value tag there. We want to make sure it's 100% safe. That means it's, it should not be just as safe as a human driver. It should be as safe as a superman, <laughs> a superhuman. Uh, Really, really go up to a level as high as possible because safety there's no limit. You can always be safer. 
uh, there's always something extra we can do. So which is, uh, I would say that this industry is a little bit like AI, like Boeing building an airplane. It's true that you can reduce the cost, but that's at the price of not as safe. That increases your risk. So I think at this stage, we definitely don't want to uh, want to reduce the risk as much as possible. Part of the biggest benefit for self-driving car is to increase traffic safety. That's why under this big framework, that's why a lot of companies, not just us, all the company, uh, except Tesla, uh, kind of putting all the sensors on, on in the car. It's true that it's making the, the, the car more expensive, but we believe that the price is not, we're not stopping us adapting self-driving car. It's really, it's really uh, whether the technology is, can be proven to be significantly safer than a human driver. This is the bar. We need to cross that bar first. Afterwards, uh, we can see about the price. And can, can I actually ask you about the, the 4D radar and, and the LiDAR? Um, I, I guess, what do you, uh, I understand you just, you just want to get sort of an, as an accurate picture as possible. Um, what do the two sensors sort of offer you if, if they are both producing this point cloud that gets you this nice, um, you know, surround view uh, 3D image? Yeah, they, they, the result will be similar, but the problem is they both of them fail and they have different failure mode. Uh, a lot of people think about the limitation of cameras and has weakness, but uh, at the same time, LiDAR, radar also have a lot of weakness. For example, LiDAR, if you have a highly refractive object, like a mirror type of object, you will not be able to see. <laughs> it's completely gone. All the, all the laser goes in and then bounce away and then they will not come back. And then all you, not, not even a mirror, if you have a, in some road sign, you have a stop sign. Some of the stop sign is, they put highly refractive material so that it's easy, you can see visually. But the problem is so refractive that you can actually, again, the light may bounce away, or you can even make the, the traffic light, uh, the, the traffic sign to be bigger than it, it should be. Uh, and then like if they're far away distance, like if you have one, 150 meters or 200 meters, if there's a black car, because the thing is totally black, it absorbs uh, lasers. So the laser will not be able to come back. Then you create a black hole there. You have no idea whether there's something there or there's nothing there. So LiDAR does have a lot of limitations. It has a lot of good things, but it also has a lot of limitations. And in terms of the sense signal-wise, uh, this gets more technical. Camera has high frequency texture. Like if you look at uh, like the board behind me, there are a lot of high frequency textures. There are a lot of information. That means there are tons of information there. But LiDAR is a low frequency signal. It's just a surface with shade, right? It's usually quite smooth, actually. So in terms of the uh, signal, the information gain you can get from that also limited. That's why in terms of LiDAR, sometimes you, you can know that there's an object there, but you have no idea what that object is. Is this a pedestrian or is it just a tree trunk? It's very confusing. You really need camera, LiDAR to fuse it together. And radar also have some failure mode and also advantage. For example, LiDAR, uh, we, we, we mentioned about some uh, disadvantage, but LiDAR also have the disadvantage for uh, like different weather conditions like in Shenzhen, city of Shenzhen, it rains very heavily, unlike in California, it never, never rains. <laughs> in Shenzhen, it rains like six months of the year, 
uh, it rains heavily. All these raindrops will create the laser noise. Uh, there will be a lot of noise in the LiDAR point cloud. You will see that a lot of noise. And we have to use the software, of course, to filter it. But those are reducing the information, right? It's, it's very important we need to filter it. But still, if there's other sensor that can be complementary, that will be very helpful. This is why the camera can help to bring in the semantic information, high frequency signal to help us identify the semantic category of the object. And radar has a lot of advantage as well. Radar is, can see through, it's weatherproof, it's raining or not, it does not matter. And the, with the high resolution radar, it also create another layer of redundancy because radar is particularly sensitive to mental objects, which is cars, bikes, motorcycles, which are critical objects on the road. So that, that's why it's very, very helpful. But at the same time, of course, radar also have a lot of limitations, right? The resolution is still not as high, even with the highest possible for the radar resolution, it's still not as high as you, you shoot a tiny laser getting up that the, the resolution will be very different. Uh, so I would say that there's nothing perfect, <laughs> but all these are uh, something that is, but if you put them together, the good thing is we can conquer the limitation by attribute the best system and then reduce the failure mode, like the so-called corner cases. A lot of corner cases would not be corner cases if you put all the sensors uh, all on board in the car. What's your sense for the you know total, uh, the cost of total you know sensors you put around the car today, um, and you know based on what you're seeing on the cost decline, where 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 do you think uh, that will be in in three to five years? Yeah, I think today's cost is quite high. Uh, it's not crazy, but it's quite high. It's almost like if you build a self driving car, it's almost like the price of two cars, twice as high as a, a normal car. Uh, it's quite expensive. Usually normal people will not spend twice more just to buy the same car. <laughs> yeah, so it's true uh, that it's quite expensive. Uh, but the good, good news is that if you resemble the cost, if you look at the bone of material, there's actually nothing really expensive. The reason why it's very costly is simply because all these devices, they are new devices. They are designed in recent years, either LiDAR, radar, high resolution radar, or even high resolution camera. Like we are using a megapixel uh, automotive grade camera, uh, which is actually very rare uh, in the industry because uh, because they are new. That's why they are expensive. It's not only because the material is expensive. A lot of company they have to spend hundreds of engineers just to build a lidar, for example. Then all these uh, a few hundreds headcount, the cost will be amortized on the on, on the one hundred lidar they build every year. Uh, so that's why they are expensive. But once we can scale it up, we, we expect the price to drop dramatically very quickly. Uh, for example, even in the past three years, if you look at LiDAR's price, uh, even for the traditional mechanical LiDAR, the price has been dropped about 10 times already. So we, we see that with the more competition, with the more larger volume for production, the price should drop quite, quite significantly, very quickly. And how quickly it can go is really depends on how quickly we can scale it up. Uh, not just we as one company, but actually uh, we as uh, the industry. Because uh, that if another company uh, uh, in, in, in US, they are using a lot of LiDAR, actually amortize the cost for the whole supply chain. Uh, 
because every single component <laughs> made by some company, they actually share some uh, uh, supply chain. So it will be very, very helpful. Uh, and that the, the, the thing for industrialization is actually sometimes bigger scale means lower price is not the opposite. And for the, the, the price of a ride, the price per mile, um, how, how do you see, uh, you know, at, at ARC, one, one of the um, big pieces of our thesis is that we think the utilization rates of autonomous cars could be high enough such that the price per mile to the consumer will actually be significantly lower than today's options. Um, you know, but I, I know from speaking with you in the past, you, you, there's sort of some some nuances in, in how you think of, uh, you know, that, that price o- over time and how it compares to today's market options. Yeah, uh, certainly. I think even with today's price, is almost equivalent to hiring a human driver because the human driver, uh, certainly they cannot drive seven times twenty-four times three hundred sixty-five days. Uh, so they, they, there's also a lot of man- management costs, right? Right. For example, right. Uh, people have to a lot of taxi company in China. Uh, they actually have to hire a lot of people to manage the drivers. Because to make sure it's safe, because it meet all the government regulation, all the standards for uh, different uh, uh, government agencies, so it's definitely uh, quite high. We expect that this price is going to be uh, with the self-driving car. The price are going to drop, of course, but we actually don't expect it's going to drop a lot, because once once you have uh, the driver shortage, you actually don't. There's no need unless there's a unhealthy competition. Otherwise, I don't think there's a need to to significantly lower the price for self-driving car versus a human driving car. It's actually the opposite. In China, there are not that many drivers, and even a lot of young people, they don't want to drive cars. <laughs> uh, there's no car ownership culture in China at all. There's very few people actually buy cars simply because they love cars. Most people, they, they buy cars because they have to. But if you have an alternative, that's completely different. The other thing is aging is a major problem uh, in, in China in the com- for the coming decades. The economic has been booming in the past few decades, partially because there are a lot of people, that, there are a lot of work, labor, they can work, contribute to the economy. But if you look at the uh, birth rate for, for, for the ni- 1980s, 90s, 2000, since 2000s, it drops significantly, very quickly. So in, in the following few decades, there will be no, simply there's not enough labor supply from, uh, from these uh, young people to continue to power the economy. And all these young people, of course, is their more important job for them to do, to do something more important instead of just driving cars. So because of the global trend, of, uh, the, the national-wise trend of this aging problem, and also because the car ownership culture is not very strong, we actually expect there will be fewer and fewer people drive cars in China. Eventually, in 10 or 20 years, it may end up that even if your self-driving car is more expensive than a human driver, people still want to use it. <laughs> because first of all, there are not many human drivers. Can, there are simply not enough supply for the human driver to do that. Uh, and secondly, it's also, uh, that's like the internet business, right? Once people get used to a service, uh, you can come back to charge more. Uh, it's like the shared charging uh, battery for smartphone. 
at the beginning is extremely low price in China. Now it's charging super, super expensive, but people get used to it. People just don't, okay, my smartphone don't have power. I have to charge it anyway. Yeah, it's, it's crazy pricey, but people still willing to pay for it because they get used to this service as part of their life. So, so that's why we see that the price is at the beginning maybe uh, high and then it's drop. Uh, and then you will come back <laughs> to be more and more expensive actually because of the aging problem, because simply after the self-driving car uh, uh, over certain threshold, after the uh, the ratio of self-driving car is high enough, I will, we will actually expect that maybe that some city will stop banging people to drive that old car. <laughs> there will be fully self-driving car only because it's safer, it's easier for the government official to to manage the city that a lot of, uh, it's just like in, in city of Shenzhen, if you don't have a fully electrical car, you cannot even get, get a plate a license to, to, to drive the car in, in Shenzhen now. Uh, so that, that's because people want, they don't like, the government don't like uh, pollution. Uh, they, uh, they will set up all the rules to encourage people to switch to EV, uh, similar to self-driving car. Once it's mature enough, uh, we will definitely see that the government are going to encourage people. They have all kinds of ways to encourage people to switch to to those to, to robot taxi, uh, to share mobility, to fully self-driving car. Is that true that Shenzhen? So they don't even allow for ICE internal combustion engine uh, car licenses anymore. It's so difficult that it's almost impossible. <laughs> you, right. you have to be super lucky to win the lottery. Uh, in yeah, order right, to right, yeah. to to get yeah. get a plate, but that 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 if you have so much luck, you I I don't think you need to, <laughs> me to buy a car. <laughs> you can do something else. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's really interesting. You now you already have fully autonomous, driverless, uh, you know, vehicles on the road today. Uh, what do you see as the biggest challenges? to get it to scale, to get to a fully, a more commercialized state? Is there uh, just the matter of accumulating more miles? Is it more uh, production side? Is it regulation? What What are the hurdles you see? In terms of production, I, I, we are very good. Actually, we build a factory in the city of Changzhou. Uh, we have a Zambon uh, to build this, those cars. It's not a major problem. Uh, um, I would say that there are two factors still. Uh, one factor is that regulation is still quite conservative. But uh, but uh, since we launched the self-driving robot taxi pipe, it has been changing rapidly. Uh, but you still uh, yet to know that how quickly they can evolve to a stage that is fully ready for massive commercialization. Like, like you mentioned, right now it's only in one district in Shenzhen, uh, but not on all the other districts yet. Definitely one factor that we have to uh, continue working very hard. In terms of the technology, uh, it's totally true that we're definitely going to accumulate more mileage. That's always, uh, I would say that 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 threat are going to go continue to go on forever. Uh, it will never stop. <laughs> it, will, it will be more is always better. Um, and that's one thing. The other thing is still on perfecting uh, everything. Right? We, that's why we have different generation of the system newer generation system uh, that are going to put into in the coming months. Uh, so the reason the newer generation usually uh, 
have a lot of upgrade in terms of the software and hardware. Hardware wise, you have a lot of like I mentioned, like the four D uh, radar. It was not exist in our previous generation. Uh, like for example, like higher resolution radar. Our our radar was uh in the previous generation. It was always with like sixty four beams. Now we have one hundred twenty eight beams. Uh, we have blind spot uh high resolution radar as well. And we have very high resolution eight megapixel cameras, and those and those are there are a lot of details. It's not just the resolution, but also the tuning of the system, like the high dynamic range. You can see very bright sunlight and very dark night at the same time. All these there are a lot of subtle detail. If we tune it correctly, we can actually improve the performance. And of course, also the AI is getting uh, smarter and smarter. Like uh. It will not get stuck in 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 traffic in uh in 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 city urban traffic in China. Sometimes there are some illegal parking cars. There are some construction just go out nowhere. Suddenly have a lot of construction happening. Uh, in 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 city of Shenzhen because of the because of the fast development. And so all these sometimes if the AI is not smart enough, it's still safe. But he will get stuck there. So with the smarter and smarter AI. We, they were able to figure out the path to move forward. It will be able to recognize more detailed information, like for example, uh, like, like the gesture of the pedestrian, facial expression, which all these associated with the, whether they are going to cross the street or they are going to yield for us, let us go first. Uh, all these, uh, they actually related to the so-called prediction of the of the object, like all the roads, uh, users, all the uh, all the object on the road uh, will predict whether it's moving or not. If it's moving, how it's going to move? What is the probability of each trajectory? All these are going to define, and they are going to interact with each other. Like two person crossing street, they will actually bypass each other. This with a lot of data, uh, a lot of mileage, a lot of data, our system are going to improve over time. So you can expect the the self driving car not just drives safer and safer, um, but also more and more natural. Uh, less and less likely to get stuck uh, uh, and actually can get to a destination faster, but at the same time being safer. Is there a way to quantify uh, the safety profile today? And then also think about, you know, the kind of the, the relationship between cumulative miles and the number of nines you can add to the, uh, after a decimal point, is it like, you know, every, every, every doubling, you know, in cumulative miles, you think, you can you can think of an additional nine after decimal place. How, how do we think about that? It's not that easy to be out of box. Uh, part of the reason is that there are also a lot of human engineer involved, right? This is not just you crunching a lot of data and the machine just produces the result. There are also like a lot of new advanced feature, AI feature that still require the AI engineer to write the code to develop the new algorithm. Uh, to shoot those features. So therefore, it is, it, the, the technology will not evolve just as it is by itself, but require a, a significant amount of engineers working very hard uh, to analyze the, uh, the remaining problem and then build a new algorithm to fix those problems. In terms of the mileage, one thing is that the value of the data really matters. Um, that means it's not really the length of the data. If it's very wrong, mileage. But if there nothing happen on the road, then it's not really valuable data. We'd rather have a very short 
uh, lengths, but actually have a lot of things happening. In particular, you can the simplest idea you can count, like for example, in one mile, how many people you can actually encounter while driving for that one mile. Uh, how many uh, bikers, how many uh, cyclists, how many uh, cars, how many trucks, yeah, how many buses you are going to see there. That's one way to count. Uh, that's why we have been insisting testing the, the majority of our testing data have been accumulating in the city downtown of Shenzhen because this is the, Shenzhen has the highest population density among, among all the cities in China. And the Nansang district where our office is in, uh, they are the, the most downtown area. So that's why the data here is the most valuable. Uh, but by counting how many people, how many bikes, uh, how many cars uh, in one mile, that's just the first order of magnitude of data. But there's a second order relationship, which is the interaction between the objects. That the interaction between two pedestrians, the interaction between a pedestrian and a car, and the interaction not just with other objects, but also with our car, our the so-called ego car, our self-driving car is we consider ourselves to be ego car. So all these are actually interacting. And this interaction data matters a lot for the prediction training, like the well, predicting how uh, the object are going to move. Though we require a lot of interaction data in order to run the prediction model well. But the interaction data are harder to find if it's very empty, right? If for the whole mile, you see two person, then very likely that two person are not sitting right next to each other or standing right next to each other. But the idea they are not interacting with each other at all. Then you have zero interaction data. But if it's crowded, if it's more and more people, that is more likely you will see a lot of interaction going on. And this is the interaction data. It's actually only happen when it's very, very crowded. So, so that's why I think this is something we need to keep in mind in terms of thinking about the value of data. As you look to to improve your system, improve your algorithms, may I ask um, if you think uh, talking about sort of the difference between you know software one versus software two um, I understand you know there there are rules of the road that you can sort of hard code, and um, sticking with one might might help you prove a case to regulators, um, but you know two might get you better results. But um, it seems like everyone's on this path to, to transition to more of software 2.0. But what do you think sort of the current state is for, for you all? Um, and, and sort of how much, how much is uh, totally automated now versus, uh, you know, uh, how, how much sort of needs uh, human input, human help still? Yeah, I think for software 1.0, the 2.0, I think the concept is great. We, we totally see that the industry, not just self-driving car, but the whole AI or even the whole IT industry, is moving towards the so-called software 2.0. From a pure technical perspective, I would say that this is just uh, a very genetic concept. It's just like we, we upgrade from C to C++, right? Uh, um, but it doesn't really change the fundamental. The fundamental are, are very similar. And the so-called software 2.0 is not that we don't encode traffic rules. There are some simple traffic rules, even in software 2.0, you can also encode it. Is red line, of course, you don't run on red line. Uh, that's something very simple. But for self-driving car, I would say that the software 2.0 is, is good to describe the perception system, but it's not a good way to describe uh, the so-called 1.0, 2.0. It's not a good way to describe uh, for the whole self-driving step. 
the wholesale driving style, I would say that in some sense is more like an alpha goal. It's really, yeah, a goal like just uh, like any chess game, it has certain rules. We're not trying to model those rules as a, like a deep learning system, but more about like interaction, right? Like in, in, the, in, in Go or AlphaGo case, you have, you have another player, you have one, two players interacting with each other. In self-driving car, it's similar. We have an ego car and we have so many other players basically on the road. Either it's walking by, from a pedestrian or it's a biker or it's a, it's a motorcycle, it's a truck. They are all other players. So we're kind of interacting with each other. And the, the underlying idea for self-driving car, in some sense, is a game theory. It's kind to try to picture what is the best strategy for my move in order to move as safe as possible while still making progress. It's not stuck there forever, not moving. Uh, so the, the, the underlying principle is that it seems very similar to AlphaGo. It was thinking about, okay, here is one of the, for example, one of, one of the, there are a hundred different ways that I can do that now. I can drive a salary, I can stop, I can turn left, I can turn right, but there could be many, many choices. And um, for each choice, I will evaluate if I choose to do this, what, what is going to happen on the, on for the other object? Am I going to hit them? Uh, is there any collision? Is there any traffic rule violation? This is where the traffic rule comes into play. Is as a judge, as a criteria to evaluate is, is your thought, a good thought, a, a good action to take or not. Um, so it's not really saying that, okay, we, the traditional, the so-called rule-based system is more like, okay, based on this rule, you will infer what you need to do uh, immediately. But for this is the opposite, is you infer that could be one out of the 100 possible choices, uh, each choice you evaluate how, how good it is. Uh, maybe it's bad because that's uh, in, in two seconds there will be a collision going to happen or if it's bad because you violate a traffic rule and then you, you have a score for each of the hypothesis each of the potential actions and you then you choose the best option based on the score so yeah, i would say that this is not is, is it doesn't fall into the notion of 1.0 or 2.0 <laughs> it's like a different thing is that inferring the future if i do this what would other people going to do? Other role users are going to react, and then then what I will do next, and then what he would he or them all of them are going to do next, and and then eventually I choose which one to go. Maybe I don't want to choose this route uh, because it's that too dangerous. The risk is high. Then I'll choose another route, other potential op options. Uh, so I would say that the strategy has been very different. Uh, all this debugging actually happening on the way that. You need to recognize each object. You need to predict that trajectory, do the uh, future prediction. And you need to model that interactions and you need to calculate the cost. Is there any potential collision? Is there any traffic rule violation? And all this summarized together in, the, in a big uh, uh, objective function to optimize. I would say that the underlying motion planning and decision algorithm is different from whether it's 2.0 or 1.0, either it's 2.0 or 1.0, they are falling into this overall framework. Got it. As you look to, um, you know, expand and, and improve your system, um, are there are there certain goals that you have? I guess, I guess I'm thinking, you know, as background, 
um, you know, Tesla did this major rewrite of autopilot where they sort of combined, it sounded like they were sort of, you know, they're, they're doing 3d labeling and video and, and it's sort of combining a couple, a couple of steps in, into one step in terms of, you know, the perception system and also the, the planning piece. Are there sort of future and end states, um, that, uh, you know, that might, you could imagine sort of some significant change in, in how you do things now or, or or you think sort of, you know, the current way of operating is is what you'll have in five years. It's more just uh, being able to learn new environments. Yeah, uh, I, I would say that uh, for us, because we're a new company, when we get started, we kind of think through at that time is different from like Tesla, like, like back into like many years ago, or even different from like Waymo when they get started uh, uh, more than 10 years ago. When we get started, uh, uh, all this technology, including deep learning, in, including software 2.0, uh, all this new concept is out already. Uh, so, uh, so when we design the system from ground from scratch, we already keep all this in mind. We design the best possible, uh, not just out of our mind, but also we, from the whole academia. There are a lot of academic research in this topic. Um, and um, we combine the best and also the latest newest concept as well. So at this stage, we uh, currently, of course, I cannot predict for the future. But currently, we don't we don't really see there's any significant change we we we, we should make or we could make uh, at this stage. Um, to be honest, I, of course, it maybe nobody can predict the future. But usually, actually, because I've been in academia for many years, I published over 50 academic papers. Uh, usually, any new idea, it comes with several decades of research. It's not that overnight, somebody can come with a complete new idea, blow everyone's mind. Um, to us, right, there are a lot of very smart people in the world. Uh, there are a lot of invention going on every year. But it's, it usually takes several decades to build one single good technology to be able to use. For example, deep learning, it takes several decades. Uh, I'm good friends with Yang Kun, uh, who was a Turing award winner. But, I, but when, I, when first, I first met him, <laughs> he's not a Turing award winner. At that time, nobody believed in deep learning. Uh, but it actually took him the whole career for several decades in order to actually polish deep learning to become a good technology that everyone can use. So in the following few decades, if there's any new technology comes out, we should already know it. That exists the beginning, at least a, a baby stage should already exist. Uh, it, it's very unlikely uh, that something surprising technology can just come out of nowhere uh, overnight. Uh, so it, it combined on two these uh, two two factors that we started more recently, and we, uh, we when we get started, we survey the whole industry and all also to survey the whole academic research. So I would, I would see that it's very difficult to imagine that there's something fundamentally different we need to change uh, in the following few years. How important is uh, HD mapping? How dependent are you uh, to HD mapping as part of your tech stack? I would say that HD mapping are super important uh, because it, it, it simplifies everything. Uh, it, it, it provides a reliable source, but at the same time, of course, usually there are a lot of construction going on, in particular in China, there are a lot more construction than in the US. Uh, so that, that's why you need to be adaptive, but it still provides a very 
useful prior information. Like, like for example, at Bayes doing AI, right? If you have some prior knowledge of what you are facing, you are not just like, the AI is not just slow down and open his eye and realize, oh, everything is so new. Uh, then things actually re significantly reduce the difficulty of the self-driving car. And, and so I would say that the HD map is really a, a, a sensor, another type of sensor uh, in some sense. The other thing is also the HD map. A lot of people consider, we call it a maps, right? But it's not really a maps. I, not technically, a map is just to guide you uh, in terms of navigation. The HD map is providing you prior information. Like for example, there could be there are a lot of car parked there. You have no idea whether they just get stuck in the traffic. Then you need to just wait in the night of the uh, uh, for waiting. Uh, for example, if everyone making a right turn and the right most lane is occupied completely with many cars, then if is they they if they are stuck in the traffic, of course you need to wait there. <laughs> you should not just go and then then realize you cannot cut in. Uh, uh, miss the turns. But if it's just, if it's not that, if it's not for right turning, it's just somebody illegally park the car there. Like in China, sometimes it's a lot of car illegal park there for offloading the vehicle, offloading goods, or they just want to have a break. There are a lot of taxi in the day, during the day, right? At, 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 at 1 p.m. in the afternoon, there's no work. Nobody wants to take taxi. So all the car waiting there, lying that there, all the, all the taxi driver, go out of the car to, to smoke a cigarette, <laughs> then you should not wait there, right? You know that they're not waiting for the traffic. They're just having a break. <laughs> and it's true that maybe illegally parked there. It's not, not right there for them to park there. But our self-driving cars should not be so stupid. Just wait there forever. But how can you tell? It's very difficult to tell. The car just parked there. The car is still on. The lights is still on. <laughs> Everything is normal. Then, the, the part of the reason, of course, we use recognition to recognize whether they're right, whether there are people walking around. You can do timeout. If you wait for more than five seconds, you can navigate. Uh, but if there's a prior, if you already have the, the map already tell you this area, almost every day, some people are going to illegally park there to enjoy that cigarette. <laughs> then, then maybe we should not just wait, we should go down immediately, just nudge. Uh, we don't need to wait five seconds. We can just go go immediately, switch again and cross them. And so this is not really a traditional type of map. It does not tell us the street names. It does not tell us the detailed shape of the object, the detailed shape of the curvature of the road. But it rather tell you, okay, it's very likely what, what is going to happen in this area and give you a prior knowledge. And the AI can use the prior knowledge combined with the real-time recognition to make a, a smarter decision. That, that's something that, uh, that I think the map is extremely helpful. It can make the self-driving car to drive better, safer, more natural. But at the same time, people may ask, do you absolutely have, need to have the map? Technically, from a pure scientific point of view, we probably don't <laughs> because human can drive without a map, right? Uh, in our, our company, we AutoX actually have a pattern. The first pattern we actually fire is that we can drive the car without a map. <laughs> uh, with the no map, the car can still drive. Uh, it can go as it is and then recognize the road and make the turns. It's achievable, it's doable. But my question is the opposite. Uh, if you compare two, two different possibilities, one is with the map, one is without the map, both of them, even if both of them eventually can go to driverless, 
become self-driving. But still, the one with the map will be go driver is earlier, right? Because it, your problem is easier. If I can drive without a map, then I drive without with a map should be easier and should be more achievable. So if people worry about our oh, self-driving car is not coming very soon, they worry about the difficulty of self-driving car. Then if we remove the map, we, we only get the problem even worse, <laughs> more difficult, more challenging. The timeline are going to be further away. Uh, so, so I would say that eventually, whether like 20 years later, do we need HD map or not, that's questionable. Uh, but I'll, that, um, one thing I'm very sure there, for the first fully self-driving car that the main kind I'm going to have massively definitely is with the map because that's the easiest, uh, earliest, and fastest way to get there. If we cannot even get a self driving car self driving with a map, then how come with the, without a map is anything easier? So I would say the ordering happen are going to be self driving with the HD map, going to become self driving first, and then afterwards, there's another question whether eventually we are going to remove the map or not. Uh, that That's the what was going to happen in terms of the timing, the order of the uh, time order. <laughs> and the two major HD mapping players uh, is uh, Auto Navi, which I believe you use, and then Baidu, right, in China. Um, so, I mean, this, what you just described seems to uh, uh, put a lot of value on, on those platforms. I guess, you know, not 20 years down the road, right, as you scale, does it make sense for uh, robo taxi platforms such as yourself to start collecting your own HD mapping data, um, and and or or is this going to just be a piece, highly strategic piece that uh, you have to depend on uh, to a partner like Autonavi or or Baidu? Yeah, I think Autonavi and Baidu they have the more traditional the actual maps, but when we talk about self driving map, I mentioned a lot of about the prior information, the prior knowledge about the about the road situation, those are not in the traditional maps at all. In fact, it's the opposite. They actually don't have the capability to capture this data. Because if uh, right now, like for example, Autonavi or any mapping company, they have very few cars. They have probably 20 cars for the whole country. And every six months, they pass once, and then, then you need to wait for six more months <laughs> in order to they pass the second time. So the gap in between is so big that they cannot accumulate this information. The, the, like for example, the reason why that I will know that almost uh, every day that illegal parking car that uh, walking the one lane is really because you pass it many, many times. You accumulate this information <laughs> and then you, you, you know that that's, that's what's going on. So for those, it, traditional map, map making process is simply impossible for them to get this information out. So the only possible information can come is really come from a self-driving fleet, whether it's a robot taxi company like AutoX or maybe a, a Tesla uh, kind of like assisting driving. But of course, that whether they have the, the enough sensor and the storage to to um, computation power to compute, that's another question. But theoretically, at least, they, you get passed to the area many times a day and use those information as the prior information. Uh, so so that, that's why I, I would say that for the traditional map, mapping process, it's very difficult to maintain an up-to-date map uh, as well. 
like the things like the law in China, they are evolving so quickly. Construction, they are in, in, in Shenzhen, they are usually like, at the same time concurrently, there could be, could be 2,000 row construction happening at the same time uh, every day. So the, the row are evolving very quickly. If you scan it six, every six months, the, the, the map is almost like useless. <laughs> it's almost un, unusable at all. So you, you actually have to scan every day. I would say that even every hour it would be better or every 10 minutes, that would be the best. Uh, and so that, that's why I, I don't think the traditional map making business are going to work. In fact, I, I would say that the business model is, doesn't make much sense in the self-driving age. Why is traditional map making business is, is that you pay, the, you pay money to the mapping company and they give you the data, which is the map, right? You pay for the map, pay for the data. But if the data does not come from mapping company, just I analyze, they don't have enough cars to drive the street unless they have a million cars driving the street, yes. But they don't have the data, okay? So it's not possible that we can, we give them the, a lot of data and we pay them a lot of money. Then why we need to do that? Why we bother to do that? <laughs> why we don't just do it by ourselves, yeah. So I would say that that's why all these major self-driving car companies, either Waymo, Cruise, or like Baidu, they are all accumulating the map by themselves. Uh, and then uh, it's still called it map, but in some sense, I would say not say it's a map. It's now become the prior knowledge about the know-how of the city. <laughs> that, that is just like you live in New York City for your whole life. Then you know every every corner have a, Starbucks, uh, you know what's going on. <laughs> you know, you know there's a hole on the on your way to your office every day. You just bypass that hole. Uh, those are not the map anymore. Those are more like the know how the prior information about the city. It's more about the real time change in road information, and that is, you know, the large platforms with the biggest fleet are best positioned to capture. Yeah, evolve according to the season according to the day uh according to the time of the day <laughs> you actually evolve that information are very dynamic and may I ask um i understand there there are restrictions in china over sort of what what data um you, you can keep and use for your system you need to process it in chinese data centers um is the more valuable information that you're talking about that you have to develop internally included in sort of that those restrictions or this is actually separate and that's more on sort of the traditional hd mapping side Technically, I would say this is separate uh, because so this, this, all these things are so new that nobody has seen about it before, right? The Chinese government have, uh, could never ima even imagine this out <laughs> because the self-driving car industry is so new. Uh, but it's true that I would say that the principle was still the same. All the data captured in China, whether it's good data or it's bad data, whether it's essential data or it's uh, non-essential data, or whether it's privacy data or is non-privacy I would say that the government all required had to stay within China. That there's no data could possibly go out of China. That's for sure. It's not just China. I think every country pretty much the same. Same for US, same for Singapore. I, I think it's all the requirement make, make sense. So that will require that this actually have some implication means if a company want to really run a successful business in, in a market, in a country, they will really need to have a, a huge operation there, not just operation, but they actually have a, need to have a huge team of engineers 
in the in the country to analyze the data to touch the data because once they go go out of the country they cannot touch it so i would say that this is the, the that's why people like for example why AutoX is focused on the china market uh, uh we know that what it means is actually means we need to hire a lot of hundreds of engineers just in china uh just just to be able to adapt it of course it seems not just easier but also to satisfy uh, all the uh, all this uh, regulation on the data side so i i would say that pretty much any country right uh, for most countries in the world this requirement is probably uh, probably universal right europe for example we all knew that europe have very uh, strict data policy uh for many aspects um maybe this is a good segue to talk about v2x um this is something that uh it caught our eyes throughout last year uh there's been you know a couple of dozens of uh, large cities at least that have uh, uh been pretty aggressively rolling out uh, v2x uh vehicle to everything infrastructure how important is this technology uh in in you know helping you guys uh commercialize robo taxi for auto x and then broadly for for china uh self-driving technology scene v2x is a very uh a topic that actually raises a lot of debate in, in china uh, some people feel that they are very good some people feel that they are impossible <laughs> yeah some some people are kind of uh from our perspective we are kind of uh, we welcome v2x we see there are certain values there, but we definitely need to do it right. Otherwise, <laughs> it's useless <laughs> if you don't do it right. One of uh, V2X, uh, the promise comes from that, saying that, okay, if you install more devices on the road, uh, you can provide a different perspective, different view uh, about perception of what's going on. Uh, and then they can send it to your car so that you can see with a superhuman vision, right? You are not just seeing from this angle, you're seeing from different angles of the sensing, increase the recognition accuracy and reduce the potential risk and make it safer. That, that's true. Uh, um, but at the same time, this is under assumption that everything has to be perfect. But the problem is in the real world, nothing is perfect. For example, the recognition could be wrong because the V2X device, different V2X device on the road have different recognition accuracy. Some of the V2X have only a camera, uh, they don't no LiDAR, they have no radar. Some of them have only a radar. Some of them have only a LiDAR by looking at a particular angle, not at the other angle. So none of them is perfect. In the real world, all the perception of V2X may not be perfect. That's one problem. The second problem is the communication could have delay. Theoretically, sure, within uh, 15 minutes second, you will receive the, the, the information. But in practic practically, there could be many, uh, a lot of potential noise of the communication channel. When you receive, you may actually get a lot of delay. Uh, that's another thing. The third thing also, who to maintain that? How do we make sure all of them are alive and healthy and working perfectly in a perfect condition? This is a non-trivial work, right? It's uh, so many intersections, there are so many roles, and there are so many, if you install devices in all these roles, there are so many, so many devices, and all of them have to be working. And they are actually surviving at a very bad condition, right? They are on the road, they are, uh, they are very strong sunlight uh, in, in, in China, 
super super hot. It rains. Uh, it it have a lot of terrible weather condition. You have to survive. Uh, forever because once you install, you expect it's going to go forever. No device in the world can survive forever. Even our cell phone, right? Everyone use a cell phone for two two years. You have to throw away and buy a new one. Uh, so who are going to upgrade, maintain it, and make sure it always right? And uh, this is a huge project. It's really so big that I I would say almost beyond the scope for even if the Chinese government want to do. All in to do this, still that it could be uh too costly and and even or too labor intensive to even achieve it everywhere. Uh, uh, the other thing also from our perspective, from the more social perspective, but uh, we were just talking about the technical perspective. But from the social perspective, when when assuming that a traffic accident happen. Then who is going to take the responsibility? Right? If uh, we drive a self-driving car and the the V two X, the roadside recognition system tells us there's no one here, and then we just drive there and we kill somebody. <laughs> then who are going to take responsibility? Because the V two X may send you a wrong signal, and if they are taking responsibility, either the device company or if the government are taking responsibility, then it's fine. Otherwise, from a car, uh, self-driving car maker perspective. You would not be able to trust that, right? You can only listen, right? You you, you cannot trust one hundred percent all the information the V2X tell you because it could be wrong, and that could be cause a disaster. And we have to take the responsibility. Of course, in that situation, we will not be able to one hundred percent trust it. So that's why we still need all the onboard sensing, just as before. We still need to add all the camera lidar radar, all this in the self-driving car, just make sure the self-driving car itself. Is perfect. Then the value created for the V two X is only supplementary. It's not essential. It just tell you something uh, extra bonus information, but you will not be able to one hundred percent trust it because there could be anything wrong. And then we we are the party taking responsibility. So in this social perspective, it's very difficult to a lot of people will connect or you need to V two X. Then all the self driving car doesn't need to have any sensors. That's that's totally not true. Uh, with V two X, our self driving car will need to have the same sensors, and there's nothing we can go with, uh, because we will just worry about the safety and taking responsibility again. Uh, so that's why it will not reduce the amount of sensor we can put in the car. But V two X, if we do it right, it does have some benefit, because it still provide a reliable. If we can provide a very reliable, useful information from another perspective. That's why in our system, all our system is fully reserved for the V two X capability. Ah,、uh, we have the interface, we have the API, we have SDK all connected to the V two X. If there's V two X information, like if there's traffic light or roadside perception system telling us, we will use those information. We will not one hundred percent trust it, but we'll still use it just to give us another evidence. Is like another type of sensors. Ah.、Uh, But at the same time, I would say that we need to install it right and smart. Right now, I see a lot of V two X. They just put a camera randomly there, and 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 put a very old resolution camera, put a, a radar with a very weak detection algorithm with a very low accuracy detection. Those I would I would say that is not helpful at all because the recognition accuracy is very low. The V two X only helpful if you can put a super strong. Super powerful perception capability on the road, 
Like for example, almost like taking our car, the best perception system you can ever build and put it on the road, then it's helpful. Otherwise, it's just install a random uh, traffic camera, uh, the perception capability tool. It, it will only create noise rather than signal. It will send you tons of noise <laughs> and none of them will be useful. Yeah, so, so this is, a, I would say, this is a good idea. We need, really need to do it carefully, precisely, do it right. And, and doing it right is non-trivial for the whole society because this is no longer just one company. The whole society has to co collaborate with each other, uh, which is a non-trivial non effort to build it. So I, I, I totally understand why Waymo, uh, like for example, in Arizona or at Cruise, or the US player, <laughs> very few people talk about this because they, they see the potential difficulty uh, of really commercialize this. Uh, for, from our perspective, we welcome this, uh, but I, was, I would not imagine that all the intersectional install this. I would say that this is very likely that most of the time the car will rely on the single car intelligence, the car AI itself. But for a certain intersection, we, if we know that there are a small number of intersections, we know that it's very difficult to drive that. Um, based on the data, we know that there are some, uh, that there are more traffic, potential traffic accidents happen there. Then we can, for the very small number of subset of the intersection, we can install a very high precision device there. Then you can provide some, and then we heavily maintain those to make sure those are alive. And then it's, we, it's more like we're more focused on only a smaller number of intersections, but if we choose one, then we'll make, make sure that one is very reliable, uh, make sure it's something that we can really be useful. That's probably the right way to do it. Instead of just put tons of very weak device and randomly everywhere, and then nobody going to maintain it. Uh, I, I would say that that won't work. I'd love to ask you two, two questions as, as we sort of come up um... To, to a close here, I, as as you look back over um, you know your your journey to fully autonomous, or perhaps even after you've commercialized the effort, what has surprised you most, and what do you think that uh, people are are missing about either the industry or or AutoX uh, specifically? What what have we not asked you, and 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 what would you you know sort of like to get out there? I think the biggest surprising factor to me, and also. The biggest problem I think this industry is facing now is the confusion between assisted driving and fully self-driving. Um, a lot of people think that, oh, self, Tesla is having a self-driving car. Tesla is assisted driving by design, by the price, by the material, the, the device they equip in the car is not a fully self-driving car. It's, it's far from a fully self-driving car. It's an assisted driving car. It's an ADAS feature, um, but a lot of people confuse ADAS um, with self-driving, partially because <laughs> Tesla called them self-FSD, right? uh, but I, I would say that it's not just Tesla's uh, fault because by definition, the so-called level one, level two, level three, level four, uh, because it's one, two, three, four, of course, people imply that, okay, you can go from one to two, two to three, three to four, right? but the reality is not that. When we refer to one, two, three, four, that's not really a good name. I, I think we should call it A, B, C, D is probably better. <laughs> the level D, level A is probably better. Otherwise, people will imagine, okay, then level 2.5, 2.99. Um, those does not make any sense, right? If you A, B, C, D, it would not be 
April April something right. <laughs> so so I will say that because of the notion at the beginning, I will say when 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 we design this level, because of the naming problem that caused a lot of confusion, and because of the confusion that confused a lot of people with self driving car, fully assisted driving car, fully self driving car, which is very dangerous. You we all hear that 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 accident caused by ADAS, right? Because those user. They cannot distinguish uh, ADAS with a fully self-driving car. And it's not just one or two users. We, we see that many, many people, including many media, including even some people uh, in the financial, uh, in the capital uh, market, uh, people get confused. This is a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing in terms of the safety of the, if you use a, a assistive driving feature as a fully self-driving feature, that's super dangerous. That's because it was not designed for fully self-driving. We should educate the world uh, that this is that too clear distinction. Even if Tesla one day become fully self-driving, Tesla even if become they be, one day they release a robot taxi, that's great. But before that day, we should still make very clear that this car is a assisted driving car. Otherwise, accident could happen. It's really, really dangerous. It's really a bad thing. But the bad thing is that because right now, because of this confusion, I don't think it's just due to Tesla, it's due to many, many factors. And due to, we don't, as a human society, we don't have good, precise language to describe a lot of things. Uh, so that, that caused a lot of confusion. And because of this confusion, it's actually not good for self, fully self-driving either. Because if it's a assisted driving ADAS feature, with the accident, then everyone in the news it will see that oh, self-driving car technology is bad. Uh, that accident happened for self-driving car. Come on, it's just assisted driving car. <laughs> it's not a self-driving car. Uh, it's not designed to be a fully self-driving car. If it's designed to be a fully self-driving car, then of course we can take the brain. We should take the brain also. Uh, but if it's designed for assisted driving and then it's broken, then shouldn't that be very normal? <laughs> That's part of the design definition right uh, so i would say that this is the biggest misconception that everyone uh, confused these two things together that that's that's not a good idea and um, for the capital market also i i think people tend to confuse that but i think it's totally understandable because most people are not that technical right they 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 never write a single line of code for self-driving car and how they can know the difference and the other thing is, I think a lot of people working in the ADAS industry, assistive driving industry, even the engineer working on assistive driving technology, because they never uh, really uh, spend time on the fully self-driving technology, it's actually hard for them to imagine what is different. They will feel that, okay, feature after feature, I keep adding more and more feature. Eventually, my car just becomes the same with yours. It's actually fundamentally different. <laughs> so we actually see that even for some experts in assistive driving, uh, because they lack of the exposure to fully self-driving uh, industry, uh, sometimes uh, they actually don't, cannot see the difference. But if you work, pick someone working in the fully self-driving industry, people actually see more difference. So, so it's, that's why we, we see this interesting uh, conversation, uh, uh, not conversation, interesting debate on Twitter between Waymo and Tesla, right? Tesla, Waymo is saying that our car is fully self-driving. Tesla is saying that our car is also fully self-driving. 
I, I would say that most of them are right because from that perspective, what, what they are speaking out their truth. But but from the pure uh from the society society's benefit, we I think we really need to distinguish these two categories, and we need to do more education to the general public. Otherwise, more traffic accident could happen. And we also need to have two different set of regulation for both. Right now, for example, all the California driver list, uh, uh, the uh, self-driving regulation, they are aimed for the fully self-driving feature, uh, but they're not aimed for the assisted driving. So to, for the assisted driving, it's an empty, uh, empty space. <laughs> There's no regulation whether what is right, what is not right. There's no regulation. I think it actually probably require even more regulation for the ADAS feature because the ADAS feature are very complicated, right? Sometimes the human drive, sometimes the machine drive is so complicated. For the fully self-driving, actually the rules is that black and white, okay, with the, with the car drives itself, that's it. <laughs> if the car drives itself by itself, very uh, safely, that's right. Uh, so it, there's no not a lot of middle ground, no, not a lot of gray area. Uh, for the fully self-driving car, but for the ADAS, it actually a lot of different kinds of features, different level of uh, 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 automation, different kind of takeover, different kind of pay, how much attention to pay, that is actually quite complicated. So there should be another regulation just for those. But either in China or in US, you see that the ADAS kind of war, in fact, actually is even more lacking in terms of regulation. All these regulations, either in China or in in US, for self driving car, they are meant for the fully self driving car. And and in this regulation landscape, all the ADAS uh, company will say that oh, my car is not fully self driving, so it's nothing to do with me. The, all the restriction does not apply to me. But when they talk to the consumer, it's the opposite. <laughs> okay, then they will everyone say that okay, that car. Uh, is fully self-driving. <laughs> is in fact uh, far from fully self-driving. Yeah, there's there's a lot of focus that's put on the the levels of autonomy, and I and I think there's you know you can almost call yourself a certain level just on a technicality. I agree. I think they're really confusing. And I, I see your point. You know, sort of releasing products, especially to to a customer to sort of enhance their driving, is a very different problem to solve than the the fully autonomous car. Um, so yeah. In the um, we, we can keep going and ask a ton more questions, but in, in the interest of time, maybe I'll just end uh, the episode with uh, my last question. Having you know been at, at the forefront of uh, self-driving technology, especially in China, um, you know who between U.S. and China, who do you think will be the first to to really commercialize robotaxi on the mass scale, um, and and why? Yeah, I think uh, U.S. is already happening right? since last year, since the pandemic, right? Waymo has this uh, fully driverless fleet operating in Arizona, in Phoenix area. Um, and in China, we're also operating in Shenzhen, but uh, a few months after Waymo release. Um, I would say that these two countries are probably the two countries most likely to have self-driving cars with massive adaption because right now, uh, all the top player globally pretty much concentrated on these two countries. Uh, but it's also very normal, right? It's, uh, it's uh, under uh, everyone's expectation. And it's because these two are the two biggest markets of the world. Uh, in terms of the grand price, <laughs> these, these two markets are the two biggest markets that people could potentially imagine for, for robot taxi. 
I would say that the two countries based on the current uh, current uh, trajectory, uh, the current progress, I would say that we probably have robot taxi happen at a, uh, a similar pace. There will be not too much difference. But the difference will be really on uh, China, US versus other country. All the other country looks like the, the progress is significantly uh, slower. Uh, compared to these two two countries, but the world is very big. Outside China and US, our that there's still a huge world right on on us. So that the self driving car revolution, I would say that even if the, for the two countries it's just the beginning, but even in a bigger scale globally, I would say that it's the very very beginning. When but one one thing we're very sure is that after working this is uh. Uh, for for a long time, witness the industry also uh, experience how it evolved in our in our own company. One thing we can be sure is self driving car is definitely coming. <laughs> it's coming not very far away. It's, it it could take uh, a few years uh, to to really do a deploy a massive scale, but it's definitely coming. Uh, because we see the industry sometimes people get go. Uh, emotion go up and down. Sometimes they are very optimistic. Sometimes they are very uh, not optimistic. <laughs> uh, go up and down very often. But as an insider that working this, uh, for us we don't really that this this a very stable move. We don't we never think about this problem as an easy problem that we can solve overnight. But we also never think about this problem we can never solve uh, for a few decades. This is something that can definitely be solved within a few years. So we definitely see that this is upcoming, and once it comes, it's something uh, a huge rep. It's it means a huge revolution for the whole world, uh, and not just in China, not just in U.S., but for the whole world. We basically upgrade the whole human society to the next level. There's something like just like the invention of cars, the invention of internet, the invention of smartphone. Uh, everyone's life will create an impact. Uh, and and because it's, it can create a safer traffic environment, we, we are sure this is going to be definitely a positive impact. Very exciting. Well, we're, we're so happy to have you on today and, and to, to sort of teach us more about this revolution. And, uh, you know, congrats for being on, on the cutting edge of that. So thank you. Yeah, we, we really um, will be watching you closely and uh, um, really, uh, you know, wish wish you the best as you as you pioneer, uh, you know, autonomous driving technology, uh, and we certainly hope you will come back and join us uh, in the future as well. Yeah, th- thank you. It's very exciting to be a uh, to be part of the revolution. <laughs> that we we really see that this is I I like to build the future. I think this the the many years ago when I chose this career. I know it's coming now. I'm very happy to see that it's, it's actually coming. <laughs> yeah, and thanks a lot for both of your time. And we're very happy uh, to get reconnected uh, in a later episode when, when self-driving car become a massive adaption, become a reality. <laughs> Can't Absolutely. wait. Until then. Thank yeah, you so thank much. You. Thank you. Thanks. Have a good one. Okay. ARC believes that the information presented is accurate and was obtained from sources that ARC believes to be reliable. However, ARC does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information, and such information may be subject to change without notice from ARC. Historical results are not indications of future results.
Certain of the statements contained in this podcast may be statements of future expectations and other forward-looking statements that are based on ARC's current views and assumptions and involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results, performance, or events to differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements.